Well, if there's one thing that we could sure do a lot more of in this coming year is pray and praise and take time to, with the Lord to express the goodness of what He has done in our lives. We're coming to a passage of Scripture from the second chapter of Luke, and if you have your Bibles, turn there with me to this important text this morning from which I'll be referencing and preaching Luke 2. Before we do that, I want to just make a note back on the previous hymn that we, we sang as I, we were singing that. Keith introduced it with St. Ambrose, who was considered the, the father of the church's hymnody in the sense that he ministered in the fourth century and he was one that, that had to take a strong stance against the Arian heresies of the day. If you actually go back and, and read that particular hymn, maybe this afternoon or the next time you sing it, pay attention to those words a little more closely, because in that day, Ambrose was having to make a, a stand for the Trinity. And it's in a day when people were illiterate for the most part. They didn't have copies of the Scriptures like we did. They didn't have as much access uh, as we do. And one of the ways that he would teach the Trinitarian doctrines is through song. Arius, for those of you who may not know, was quite a musician. And he wrote these little riddles and these little tunes that he would set to them. And yet to combat that particular uh, growing heresy, particularly in the city and the area in which Ambrose ministered, Ambrose also took music and put the Trinitarian doctrines to text and sang them and taught them to the congregation, and he won the day in his city through music. It's that important that we consider how often music is used in our worship, but also in our lives. It plays an incredibly important role. So much so that when Paul was just right in the middle of a doctrinal, expositional passage, he would just break out in doxology. And we have many hymns in the New Testament. And we have one of those before us today in verses 29 through 32. And we'll talk about that, but we're going to begin reading at verse 21. And I'll take the text down through verse 33, just leaving us a little short of the life of Simeon in order to focus on this particular hymn that he's given to the church and that we today celebrate. Luke 2, beginning at verse 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the wound shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and Mary marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Our gracious Father, we ask that you would open up our hearts this morning to the truth of this hymn in its context through this prophet an old man, Simeon, that you gave the privilege to, to see the consolation of Israel in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, even as a baby, and to take him into his arms and to lay hold on God and to trust him and for all the things that you have promised. And we pray that our hearts would be open that this day we would take hold on God 
in taking hold of His Christ, our Lord Jesus. And that You would give us the faith that has preceded us even in those of old like Simeon. And who have taught us and shown us in their lives to wait on God. And all of our expectations will be fulfilled. And so today we pray that the Spirit of God would send forth the Word. It would bring forth fruit in our lives and in the life of this congregation corporately. And as we wait upon you, we might have those things for which we long. For the glory of Christ and of our Father in the Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This is a season in which so many people are running about and bustling around in the busyness of this world. In the context of stress and spiritual apathy, bodily laziness, and worldly idolatry, with fears and uncertainties governing their thoughts, and with little hope for their grandchildren and in their future. With little thought about how to live life in the context of faith. But that should not be true of Christians. We are to live our lives without fear without fear of what man or pandemic or hyperinflation can do. We live with certainty that God keeps His promises and He blesses those who truly trust in Him. And there is a way, I believe, that even through Simeon's life and testimony, that he's taught us by way of example how to lay hold on those things even now while even the consummation and the fullness of those things is still yet to come. We live with the knowledge that no one or no thing or no event or no government can take away what God has given, what God is doing, and what God will bring to pass. In Christ, we have our hope. We have our certainty, our fulfillment our peace, our consolation, our joy, our purpose. And as the close of this particular year, looking forward to the next year, the one thing that we have to do is to live in the present, laying hold on Christ, trusting the future into His his hands with full resignation into the hands of God. As we cling to the promises of God, and that is the context of which we are to walk by faith, not by sight. As we cling to the promises of God and lay hold on Christ, every desire of the human heart is fulfilled with purpose and with joy. And that's what we have to learn to do every day, is to lay hold on God in Christ. And that's what we learned from this passage. In the midst of this crazy, mixed-up world, we can truly worship God in joy and with purpose as we lay hold on Christ by faith. That's what we need. That's what this world needs. This section of Scripture contains, as I mentioned to him in verses 29 through verse 32, scriptural hymns that are not a part of the Psalter have often been referred to or called canticles. These are scriptural hymns outside of the Psalter and certainly worthy of our meditation, worthy of our singing, worthy to be our worship guide. This hymn that we have in verses 29 through 32 has been in the church's liturgy since at least the 4th century and very likely even before, as a part of the regular liturgical rite. It's referred to as the Nunc Dumitus. The Nunc Dumitus is taken from the words of the Latin Vulgate, which is an early Latin translation of the Bible, 
And it is named after the opening passage of the words here that are given, now let depart. That is what the words Nuctimitus mean. Now let depart. Consider the spirit of those words. Now let depart. Here we have the last of five songs accompanying the birth of Christ. The first song that we have was the song of Elizabeth in Luke chapter 1, verses 42 through 45, which begins, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb when Mary comes to visit her. The second song in that same conversation and context begins at verse 46. It's the song of Mary, which has been referred to as the Magnificat. And it begins, My soul magnifies the Lord. That too has been used in the liturgies of the church ever since the time and oftentimes used in vespers or this evening prayer service of the daily office. The canticle or the song of Zechariah is the third of these songs that are associated with the birth of Christ given in Luke 1, 68-79. And it begins, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for He has visited and redeemed His people. And it goes on about God blessing His people. And from that we have what we refer to as the Benedictus. Some of you will begin to register this particular worship music that has been used in churches since days of old. Oftentimes this Benedictus is commonly associated within the Lord's service or a morning daily office prayer time. And then in Luke 2.14 that we referred to not long in the past of our Advent season, we have the song of the angels, the Gloria in Excelsis, and shortened to the Gloria. Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And now we come to the last of those songs, these canticles in chapter 2, verse 29 through 32, referred to the Noctumentus. Let now depart. It has often been used and still is used in the regular rotation of the Compline or the nighttime prayer service. Now let depart. As man then goes on his way about to go to sleep for the night, even symbolizing in this rhythm and pattern of life this time of death and the next morning of resurrection, now let depart in peace. There's a sense where this song teaches us and has been referred to in the theme of resignation. Not resignation as one of defeat, but of strong faith and submission and this fulfillment and contentment and resting, resigning everything into the care of God, knowing that all is well. These scriptural canticles have found their way into the regular rotation of the church's liturgies from the earliest centuries, the second through the fourth centuries, they became very regular. And they've become a pattern of worship right up to this very day. As we come to this last canticle accompanying the birth of Christ, out of the mouth of this aged prophet, he took up the baby Jesus in his arms. And the lesson is this. As we lay hold on God, we can resign everything into His care. Let now your servant depart in peace. It's in that frame of mind, in that frame of spirit that Simeon had, that this great comfort and peace that only God has, and only this one who has a trust in, who has resigned everything into his care, then springs forth. So this morning I want to preach to you about laying hold on God and resigning yourself into His care, focusing our attention 
in the context of the Nuc Dumentis. I'm looking out over our congregation this morning. Looking at the faces of God's beloved people who need to more so take hold on God in Christ daily and just resign everything into His care. A need for peace. A need for comfort. A need to live quiet in this disturbed world around us. To be the rock that the world needs to see and the anchor that it needs to have. Because our anchor is in Christ. And our rock is Christ. And He is inseparable from His church, the bride who has now been given to live in this world to be the testimony of the Messiah. Understanding the scriptural setting and the meaning of these canticles helps us to embrace these things in our own worship. And when we understand these things, the worship is not just a a ritual that we follow in the a perfunctory manner and going through the motions. But worship is, is that which springs out of a heart that is full of gratitude and grace and understanding, laying hold on God in Christ. Being filled and led by the Spirit. And so as we then come to each of these elements in our own worship, if we can understand from our hearts and lay hold on Christ personally, the praise will be but natural. The songs of Scripture become liturgical practices of the church, and it leads us to praise God no matter what our circumstances are, no matter what the context of the world is in which we give them. And from them we see praise to God as hope rises out of desperate situations. Think about these canticles associated with the birth of Christ. Hope coming out of desperate situations. Fulfillment coming after long waiting. Possibility emerging from human impossibility. So let's consider this song or at least get to this song, as we consider, first of all, its context, both in the environment in which we find this prophet, also with the prophet himself, Simeon, and then lastly, as we actually turn to this little hymn that forever the church has embraced as we live this life, saying, now let depart with great consolation in our spirit. Consider with me, if you would, the immediate context, first of all, in which Simeon then lays hold on Christ. The context is involving three particular ceremonies that are all kind of condensed together. We see, first of all, there was a purification offering according to the Levitical Code in Leviticus chapter 12 that Mary and Joseph were following, but it was particular to Mary, after childbirth of a male child, the mother was unclean for seven days. She would actually go through an entire 40 days of purification. But after seven days, then the child was then taken to be circumcised. And that's the second ritual that is condensed together and and folded into this tapestry of ceremonies in which the the Simeon then lays hold on this child. It was not at his circumcision, however, but as the woman's purification would continue for another 33 days after the child's circumcision, the boy's circumcision, for a total of 40 days, after which they would then come to the temple and they would offer the prescribed offering. The prescribed offering, according to Leviticus 12, would be a lamb for a burnt offering and a turtle dove for a sin offering. And in the case where the offer 
is poor and cannot afford a lamb, then there would be a valid substitute of either two turtle doves or two pigeons. One would be for the burnt offering, the other for the sin offering. It's in this way that we, we know that Mary and Joseph were not of, of, of great wealth. Since they offered the provisional offering of the two turtle doves or two pigeons, according to the Scriptures. So we had the purification rite that was going on for every male child, but we also have the eighth-day circumcision of the male child. And then third, of, we have this ransom price for the firstborn male child. And so the Scripture reveals that there was a dedication to the Lord of all of the firstborn males that opened the womb, And this rite was established even before the Mosaic Law was codified at the time of Passover to identify with God's own Son and to put a picture in their presence of what He would do in redeeming His people out of Egypt and ultimately out of sin. So there was a a ransom price of five shekels that was enacted upon the firstborn males that would open the wound. So you have these three ceremonies that were going on at the time in which this boy child, Jesus, was born to this poor family who had just traveled quite a distance so they could be registered for a tax, which was the first of its kind. They had come from Nazareth through Judea, meaning that they actually traveled around Samaria, went the long way, and into Bethlehem, in order to be registered for this new tax under the new Caesar. The firstborn baby of Mary and Joseph was costing this poor couple a lot of money that they didn't have. It doesn't seem to be in any way bothersome or in the context of things to worry about. At this junction, they would not know how God would provide for them. And they still had a very unaccounted trip to Egypt where they would have to live for a couple of years apart from Joseph's main provision that he had back in Nazareth. But what God orders, He pays for. To take care of those things, unknown to them at the time, some sages would be coming from the east, bringing lavish gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they would live on those things. God provided. In a most unusual way, Joseph and Mary were faithful. They were doing the next right thing, and God provided And that's the immediate context in which we find this aged man who was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And here we're introduced in verse 25 to Simeon. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. He was just and devout. And we see, first of all, from verse 25, Simeon's devotion to God. We see his character of being just and devout. He Just is the idea of righteous. And devout is a word that has a lot of import. Devout means reverent toward God. It's it's a word that brings into it cautiousness or circumspect. A life that is living in the constant awareness of God's presence. He's very conscious of God. He he is careful in his living. There's a sense of gravitas. One who is devout is one who fears God more than man. So careful to please God that the threats of men become small and negligible. That was Simeon. We see the same word used over in Acts chapter 8, verse 2. There were devout men who went and took Stephen and buried him. They had courage to take the body of Stephen in the context of Stephen being stowed, identifying with Stephen, and then burying him. These were devout men, the Scripture says. They feared not men. The same was 
described of Ananias, who was the first to meet Saul after his conversion on the road to Damascus to give Saul sight. And he had even questioned the Lord over this persecutor of the church. But Ananias was described as a devout man who feared God. His actions, his life, his character was not governed by how he thought men would think of him, nor by what he was fearful that man would do. You know, we need more men like that. Women like that. Children like that. Who fear God more than their circumstances. And truly, that is the realm in which freedom and liberty and peace and joy and comfort inhabit. And this is what true godly character looks like. But secondly, in verse 25, as we're introduced to Simeon, we not only see his character being just and devout, but we see his activity of what he was doing. And character always determines and shapes your activity. It's from the root that the fruit is determined. Here we see this godly character waiting on God. Waiting. Waiting on God is really an active form of faith, and it's not just a passive uh, spending the time. But in first century Jerusalem, where this was occurring, the Jews in Jerusalem were a fairly volatile group among themselves, not even to mention in their relation to the Romans and other groups that were there, but even among themselves, it was a pretty volatile bunch. There were different concepts that divided them up into different schools of thought. There was the Shemai school, the Hillel school. There's also the school of which, which Saul, which would later become Paul of Tarsus, grew up and he was a zealot. He was fervent in his desire and even to the point of, of violence. And that's why he could condone the stoning of Stephen, while he was off to Damascus to persecute the church. But then on the other school of thought was one who would be represented by Gamaliel, who would be the one who would, we, we, we live and we let live. Don't, don't disturb the waters. Well, the Jews regarded their own nation as a special nation of God, a chosen nation among all nations, and they believed that their nation was destined to achieve supreme national greatness in the world. That governed a lot of the way they processed and thought about this, taking some of the Old Testament prophets, and they would lay hold on these things, but certainly interpret them in their own perspectives. A great number of Jews believed that because the Jews were this chosen people, they were bound someday to be the masters of the world and the Lord of all the nations. And to bring in that very day of consummation, they believed that there would be some great celestial champion who would descend upon the earth. Others believed that there would arise some king who would sit on David's throne with all of the glory then revived. And certainly these things are true, but the way they then applied them in the political realm of force was not what God had in mind. Some believed that God Himself would break into history by supernatural means. Again, all elements of truth herein. But the way that those things were applied and interpreted were often erroneous. In contrast to those particular schools of thought, there was of this political overthrow, there was a, a people, a, a group of Jews that were called the quiet in the land. They had no dreams of violence and of power and armies and banners. They believed in a life of constant prayer of quiet watchfulness and dependence upon God, waiting for Him to come with His Messiah. All their lives waited patiently and quietly upon God. Simeon was of this type. In prayer, in worship, in humble and faithful expectation, he was waiting for the day when God would act to comfort His people. 
Simeon was a man who quietly waited on God. He waited, as the Scripture says, on the consolation of Israel. This word consolation is the word from which we get comforter, paraclete, of which was later referred to by Jesus of the Holy Spirit. But is also referred to in Christ in this particular passage. This consolation on which Simeon had long awaited was identified with the Old Testament prophets, particularly Isaiah, when he begins that section of his prophecy, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith the Lord of hosts. And from there we see a development of a narrative of which would turn into a servant, a suffering servant, who would come and he would then comfort and bring the consolation of Israel He, the long-awaited Messiah, would deliver His people from the foreign oppression. But far beyond the realms of the Roman oppression, He dealt with the very core of it all in removing His people oppression by sin and the world of sin and of death which haunted us. So the the prophecy of which Simeon was laying hold of and he was looking forward to and he was awaiting, it was this comforter that would come in the suffering servant in the Lord's promised Messiah. One to whom everyone in Israel was looking for their help and deliverance. See, the broader context in which this was going on was this This conflict since the very beginning between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent and this great cosmic antithesis which has caused great wars and murders between the two sides. Israel had been oppressed by the enemies all of the days of their earthly existence. From the promise given to Abraham to then the bondage in Egypt 400 years later, then delivered out of Egypt by way of a lesson that we are to learn into the promised land given the covenant. Then the time of the judges when they would be oppressed. to The time under David's reign when their enemies would be squelched. And under His Son where the temple would be built, but after His Son's death, the divided kingdom. So now there is infighting and also the oppressors from outside. And things just were not settled. They were not at peace. There was no consolation. Then there was the Assyrian captivity of the northern tribes. Then the Babylonian captivity of Judah. Then the great Greek invasion under Alexander the Great. And then the iron of Rome and the rise of their power, under which now we find the context of this beautiful event. It was anything but peaceful. And all the while, God's people had been sorely oppressed here on the earth. They were waiting for this final delivery out of exile. The ultimate King of David who would reign upon the throne. The Kingdom of God which would come to this earth and would reign over all of the nations in power. And yet all of these details in every age and with every person was working its way out for exactly what God had purposed. It's very much like today in which we live, is it not? God uses history and events to teach us spiritual truths that are very real. And as long as we live here on the earth, we too are going to have to live according to God's revealed revelation. We're going to have to go through spiritual trials and oppressions from the enemies. And we are to have a longing for the coming of the Lord. 
Simeon was a devoted man. His character and his activity revealed his blessing that God had given. And he waited and he persevered. And God rewards truly devoted people like Simeon, whose character and genuine activity are noble. Not merely the busyness of a devoted life, but a truly devoted spiritual life which is contemplative. It's prayerful. It's faithful. It's peaceful. Yes, it's active. But it has a quiet and a meek spirit that can wait on God. Where true good activity follows genuine godly character. As a people who live in the, in the hustle and the bustle and the busyness of this world, and particularly in our culture, we need to develop more a contemplative spirit, a prayerful kind of spirit, a watchful spirit that waits upon the movement of God. This waiting on God is a godly virtue. It's dependence on God that is trusting Him in every situation that He will perform exactly what He has promised. And not only do we see Simeon's devoted life, we next see his hope in verse 26. Simeon's hope. We see it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. His hope rested in the revelation of God. It's the basis for any hope is God's Word quickened by His Spirit. And today, more than ever, we are exposed to different sources of information. What are you going to give yourself to? What are you going to trust? What are you going to believe? The news? The media? The world's science. Follow the science, and then it changes. Follow the science, and then it changes. Or the empirical data that we gain from the world through even our own senses as we observe and experience. That's another source of information. But what are you going to give yourself to? And then we have the Word of God. The written revelation given to us by the Creator, by the source of it all, the sovereign director over all of history, and the one in whose wisdom truly knows how all things work because He created it. And absolute essential to your hope and my hope in this world is to give yourself to the Word of God. Completely. Trusting it alone, even above your own personal experience. Believing it above every other source of information. Giving yourself to it. Trusting its veracity beyond all other human communications, even above your empirical experiences and observations. It is essential to be people who get in the Word who seek the Holy Spirit to open it up to you and then to give yourself to it. Making it specific. Asking Him to speak to you with particulars. Your hope will be based upon what the Bible says. Not what you think, not what man says, not even by what you experienced. For Paul says in Romans 15, for whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and the comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. That's your only source of hope, is through the Scriptures revealing God through Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit. God is your hope. And He's revealed Himself here. But notice, second of all, Simeon's hope 
was to see what he quietly waited for. To see what he quietly waited for. Simeon saw what he had longed hoped for. What God had revealed to him in the Scriptures and what God made specific application to him by in the Holy Spirit. But understand the nature of him seeing was spiritual. These were were spiritual eyes. God's timetable spans over long periods of time, much longer than our own individual lives will yield. Simeon longed to see the consolation of Israel, freedom from foreign oppressors, salvation from God, for God's people, another delivery, spiritually speaking, from Exodus, another delivery, spiritually speaking, from the Babylonian exile, the ultimate fulfillment of those things. And what he took hold of and what he saw was not the fulfillment of those things in its consummation, but the one who was certainly going to bring it about. I think there's an important lesson here. Simeon likely did not live long enough to experience Jesus' death upon the cross and His subsequent resurrection and ascension and pouring out of the Spirit upon the church. But he did live to see the Lord's Christ and He held Him. And in this He knew that everything would come to pass just as the Scriptures revealed it. As long as He could see through the eyes of faith, it did not matter if He lived long enough in this life to experience the reality of it on this earth, for He knew by faith it would come, and faith is the substance of the things hoped for. See, he laid hold of it in his own personal experience by taking hold of the future and bringing it into his present experience by faith through that one that he held in his arms. See, this is what faith is. It's the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. This is the key to living life. To living life. We live in a time when we may never see the return of Christ in our lifetime and all the restoration He will bring in making right everything wrong here. But He can and He will show us these things today in substance as we have faith in Him who will bring it about. See, that's the key. That's the key to resignation. That's the key to peace and comfort. Not, not in all of the circumstances, but in the certainty that Christ will right them all and to make sure that you are laying hold on Him today. The more you trust in God, the less you will cling to this life. You will see that this trusting resignation in Simeon is the key to a quiet life, the key to the peaceful life. And so many people miss God because they look for Him in all the wrong ways and wrong places. They look for Him in, in the news. They look for Him in so many ways that He is not to be found. Churches can miss God because they seek Him in large crowds or stimulating emotions by carnal means. People miss God because they look for Him according to the way they think about Him or they want Him to be, not according to the way He's revealed Himself in His Word. Christians often miss God's work and activity in their lives because they are seeing it wrongly or are perceiving it wrongly because of their own self-interest and not God's glory in mind. But quietly, patiently, depending on God with this godly character, we see so much more than we can imagine. With the spiritual eyes of faith way beyond our own lifespan, Simeon saw Jesus physically, but he could only appreciate Him spiritually. So many people walked with Jesus who could see Him physically, but they couldn't appreciate, nor did they, of who He was 
what He came to do and what He was doing in their very midst. Simeon not only saw what was promised in the past, not only a little baby in the present, but the fulfillment in the future that would come from this little baby he now held. In that faith, Simeon could resign everything into the care of God. Now, let resign. Now, let depart. Simeon's hope rested in the Word of God, believed it would, it would be that which he quietly waited for would come to pass. We see his devotion to God. We see his hope in God. And we see his appointment in God, with God in verses 27 and 28. And so he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when his parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he praised God. We see the Spirit's leading in this divine appointment. Because what the Spirit promised, the Spirit will perform. Faithful is He that calleth you who also will do it, the Scripture says. He that has begun a good work in you will complete it. The timing was perfectly orchestrated by the Spirit of God. God's timing is always perfect. We may need to learn not to lag behind Him. We need to learn not to run ahead of Him. But we need to comfort ourselves in the very sovereign providence of God that what God is doing today is exactly what He has ordered for your life and for my life. Every minute, He has appointed according to the good counsel of His own will. As Ecclesiastes has informed us, there is an appointed time for everything, and we are not to fear those appointments, but to long for them. We must trust that in God's timing, He will perform everything that He has promised, and His promises are rewarding. Second, we see the Spirit's fulfillment, because now He has Jesus in His arms. He takes up Jesus. All their promises find their richness in Christ. He who has ears today, let Him hear. The only way God can be grasped is through Christ. Christ is the only way that God's promises can be personally realized in your life. Simeon not only held a baby... He held Jesus. And in holding Jesus, He was holding God in His arms. It is from this devout man of faith who held God in His arms, realizing the substance of the things He had hoped for now in this Messiah baby, the Nunc Dimittis now springs forth. And hoping that all of that long context will bring to light this little hymn of which we'll spend just a few minutes addressing. Now we see Simeon's praise to God. His praise to God is in this hymn in verses 29-32. through 32. As Simeon was clinging to God, as he was holding God's Son, as he had eyes of faith appreciating what God had done, as he was led by the Spirit of God, the Trinity was very present in his very context. And now he springs forth with praise as he beholds God's faithfulness and doing exactly what he had promised. And as we behold God through Jesus Christ with the Spirit enveloping us, we will have the same response. Lord, now You are letting Your servant depart in peace according to Your Word. For my eyes have seen Your salvation, which You have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of Your people Israel. In verse 29, first of all, we see the resignation. Isn't that the place we all need to be? We just need to be resigned. Resigned 
Resign all of those purposes. Resign all of your particular personal appetites. Resign all of your interest and all, everything. Just resign it. Deny yourself today and pick up your cross and follow Jesus. Just resign yourself into His care. Trusting everything into the care of God. Everything that you fear. All of your worries and your anxieties and your stresses. Just resign it. Now, let depart. That's the concept of the Noctumitus. It results in this overwhelming peace. A quietness of soul that has complete comfort and consolation in God. The inner self that God is testifying in this state of resignation, everything is going to be okay. You can just hear it. You can hear it in His praise. You can sense it. This is why the church has just embraced this for now two millennium. It's all going to work out. It's a quietness from all of your inner turmoils. Your mind which is just disturbing you. A life that is in unrest and uneasiness with internal stresses. Resign that. Trust God. It's going to work out. Second of all, we see in verse 3 the reason for that resignation. For my eyes have seen your salvation. That's the eyes of faith. Laying hold on it. Laying hold of the Lord's Christ. Faith which lays hold on the promises of God and brings them into the present experience is seeing the salvation of God no matter what your circumstances are in your present hour. I know not what this year will bring, but I know what will give you the victory. I cannot control the things of your life or this world. I am not your Savior, but I can tell you of the One who is. I not know, not know who is going to be the next president, and I really don't care. Sure, it's a tertiary kind of thing. But I know the one who is the king over that next president and over the next one and the next one and the next one. It is this, that I resign myself to this day. I resign my children to this king today. I resign all of the circumstances of my grandchildren into the hands of this good king. And by seeing the Lord's Christ and taking hold of Him according to the Word of God, not according to the news of the day, not according to all of the, the things that were buzzing around, but according to the Word of God, Simeon was assured that everything that God would do through this baby boy would certainly be accomplished according to what God had promised. Absolutely no worry about the future in his spirit. Resign. Let now depart. But verse 31 shows the substance of that in this tremendous word of sovereignty which you have prepared before all the face of the peoples. The affirmation that God has worked out every detail in every era of every course of history with all of the parts and moving pieces to bring about the very moment that He was experiencing and testifying. That's our sovereign God. That is our King of kings. That is the Lord of lords. And what is true for Simeon is true for you today. Do you believe it? Everything that's going on in the world is under God's sovereign control. Down to the smallest minutia detail. The movement of history. The shaking up of the nations, including our own. The disturbances of the world. The global pandemic. The aspects of the global economy. All of the world's events. They are all detailed in God's sovereign direction to bring about the very purposes He has today and tomorrow. Not a single mistake. Not a single oversight. And nothing will bring anything to God's attention that He overlooked. 
And God is preparing all those details for Jesus' grand return. And we're called to trust God like Simeon. Everything is on its course perfectly as God has planned it. In verse 32, we then see Simeon's absolute trust that there's going to be a complete fulfillment of everything that he has promised. He has trusting God in things that have yet to be fulfilled in our lifetime. But he is certain that will. A light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel and the full consummation of those things is still yet to come. The fullness of God's kingdom throughout the entire world was there prophesied. The eyes of faith could see it. They would apprehend it. And this is how we are to live our lives today. Simeon lived in very volatile times, not unlike our day today. The Roman government had oppressed and controlled the Jews. They had no liberty and they were not judged by their own king. Their culture in which they lived was violent, sensual, perverted, and idolatrous. And the LGBTQ was going on then as it is today. There's nothing new under the sun. The Greek idolatrous mind and the philosophies that governed them were still the way of thinking that governed their culture that day. The Roman world of dominion ruled the people with tyranny, backed by strong military force. There's nothing new under the sun. And yet Simeon could live his life in the midst of all that uncertainty, oppression, and servitude with peace and genuine, joyful worship. Because he was completely resigned to God. That's at the heart of the Nuc Dumitus. And that's why it's relevant for the church's liturgy today. As we move into a new year, we need to be very deliberate every day in laying hold on God's Christ. Be a Christian devoted to God and both your character and activity. Your activity will spring from a godly character, but it will not be noble if it does not. We can do a lot of busy things. But develop that quiet and contemplative spirit, that prayerful spirit, those regular times of prayer with your sovereign King. So that you can be directed by your spirit of what your activity then will be. As he directs you to his divine appointments. Be a Christian who has strong hope. Just like Simeon hoped in the scriptures. Make the scriptures the source of that which you trust. Hope in seeing what you can quietly wait on. That God will give. And be a Christian trusting in God's appointments and His providences. Lay hold on Christ every day. Let His Spirit direct you to those appointments so that when they happen, your eyes can see them, they can appreciate them, and they know this has been the leading of God. There's so many uncertainties in life, but the one thing you'll be certain of today, God is leading you. God is in control. Resign yourself to His care. And it's from this kind of life, your nuncumentous praise will spring forth. And if you can live your life for the rest of your life and every day of your life, Lord, if you give me life today, may my lips praise you. Because I've seen the consolation of your people and the salvation in your Son. If I depart today, I can do so in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. If you can live every single day without worrying about your sickness, about your death, about the things that men say, about what the fears you may bring, you can live with the peace of which this hymn has taught us to sing through the ages. Let now your servant depart in peace. I've seen it. I've got it. I've got hold. My only regret this morning is that we do not have a congregational version of the Nunc Dumentis that we can close this, this sermon with. But perhaps we can begin to round out 
2022 as we then think about those kinds of things. We need to bring these psalms, these canticles, into our worship of heritage and embrace them more regularly in the liturgy of our personal lives of the very truth that they are here to reveal. Lay hold on Christ. Resign yourself. Be at peace, for God is the sovereign King. Our gracious Father, we pray that the message of this hymn would be taken down into the depths of our heart, that we can live the rest of our lives, even to old age, looking for all of the promises of God in Christ to be yes and amen and completely fulfilled, knowing that the consummation will certainly come to pass in the timing that is perfectly set by you. Today we live in this present hour in the context of all these details being worked out. May we find our hope, may we find our trust in our Lord Jesus Christ and the good providence you're leading in our lives this day. May we not worry about what tomorrow may bring, nor even how your provision will give to us for the needs of tomorrow. May we live today in the light of your truth, according to your word, filled with your spirit, embracing Christ, and trusting our sovereign Father over it all. And it's in whose name we pray. Amen.